This is Angie Meadows. And this is Will. And today, this is the Rocker Recovery, and we are doing Bible studies. And Will, I just think it's so important to be grounded in the Word. Whether you're in recovery from emotional anxiety, from um, a divorce, something going on in your life that's making you separated from yourself, I just think the Word of God grounds us. And when we press into it and we make it a priority, priority in our life, it becomes alive. And now it feeds our spirit, it feeds our souls that we can grow. So today we're going to do John 2. The beginning of miracles. Well, now look at that. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, you do it. So that's our main verse that we want to look at and kind of rehearse whatever he says to do. Do it. So I want you to, to get into the Word until you hear Him speak. And whatever He says do, I want you to do it. So we're um, number one. We're John verse one. What was the event? Mm, let's read the verse. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana, Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Okay, so what was the event? Uh, it was a wedding. A, it was a wedding. And where was it at? The Cana of Galilee. And who was there? Galilee. Mary, Jesus' mother. Well, look at that. His mama's there. <laughs> mama's got a special place, don't they? <laughs> so who was called to the marriage? Let's read John 2, 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So who was called to come to the marriage? Uh, Jesus and his disciples. There you go. So here they are. They're going to this wedding. And Jesus hasn't done any miracles at all yet. So number three. Uh, this is John chapter 2, verse 3. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, <clears throat> they have no wine. <laughs> so when, when they wanted wine, what did Jesus' mother say to him? They're, they have no wine. Yeah, yeah. She just Now, she's got this relationship with her son, and she knows that if she goes and asks him, that he's going to respond to her. So I think that this um, is maybe something you and I don't have the confidence to do. We don't have the confidence to go right straight to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, there's no money for the electric bill. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, but she does. She has this relationship. So what I want you to learn from this is develop a relationship. Just like Jesus had with his mother, I want you to have the Lord as your Savior in such a close fellowship that it would be uh, close enough to come to him to give him a problem of somebody else at the wedding. Hey, they don't have any wine. <laughs> you know, there isn't any wine here. So John chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So what was Jesus' reply? Like, yeah, nah, uh this ain't my problem. <laughs> my hour has not yet come. That's right. He said, this ain't my problem. <laughs> so what did Mary say to him? His mother said to the serpent, whatever he says to do, do it. All right, so she didn't take no for an answer, did she? No. Uh-uh. She looked at them servants, and she looked at him, and she probably said, okay, you got this. Whatever he says do, just do it. She believed in him when he was even telling her it wasn't his time and it wasn't his concern. <laughs> so John chapter 2, verse 6. Now there were set... There are six water pots of stone, according to the manner 
of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallon apiece. Those would be heavy, heavy containers, wouldn't they? So how many water pots were there? Six. Yeah. Okay, according to the manner of purification, I would say that that's a very deep concept. And so as you get into the Word, the reason I do these questions and answers is this is the way the Lord will pique my interest. I'll also pull out um, character skills, principles, uh, instructions, warnings, commands, uh, so that I am realizing that Scripture is actually for me today. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just written for the Jews. It wasn't just written for years ago, but it's for me today. But only as I start uh, focusing on it enough to ask questions. So if I was studying deep, I would say, hmm, what does this manner of purification mean? And then I would look up the word purify, purification, all the way through the entire Bible, and I'd write a study on that word. So if there's a word that piques your interest, then the Holy Spirit has something to teach you on it. So John 2, 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Hmm. So what was Jesus' request to the servants? Fill the water pots. And how full are you to fill them? To the brim. Okay. So they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Um, John 2, uh, verse 8. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So there was obedience here. They didn't hesitate. Uh, they just believed that when Mary said, whatever he says, do it, do it. She had confidence in them, so they had confidence. So here are servants that probably don't know much about Jesus, but maybe they're familiar with his mother, and she believes in him, and so they believe in him. And so they just obeyed. They just followed her instructions. So sometimes you're in the presence of people that maybe do not know the master the way you do. And if you are obeying and you are trusting God and you're saying, God's Word says to forgive, just forgive. God's Word says to do this, just do it. And now because you have confidence, now maybe they're going to have a little confidence. So let's look at John chapter 2, verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that came uh, – when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from – but the servant who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bride, the bridegroom. Huh, how about that? So what did the governor of the feast do when he tasted the wine? Called the bridegroom. He did. He's like, I got a question for you. This is interesting. This is a big puzzlement to me. So John uh, chapter 2, verse 10. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk then the inferior then the inferior yes inferior. So, mm -hmm. you have kept the good wine until now so he's saying you know when people have drank quite a bit they're not going to really care whether it's good wine or bad wine but look at <clears throat> that you kept the very very best for last and this was a puzzlement because this was opposite of what would have normally been done in the culture. And Mary had such a concern that the wedding was not spoiled by a lack of wine. And Jesus 
was able to do everything perfectly. So when he created the wine out of water, it was beautiful. It was the best. He didn't do nothing halfway, does he? He didn't make no junk. <laughs> right. Yeah. So John chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifestation his manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Oh, now let's pull that apart. This is the beginning of miracles, the beginning of the signs that Jesus did. It started right there in Cana of Galilee. So here's another word that you might want to look at the historical um, things that come with Galilee. What did Galilee mean? Who come out of Galilee? Does, does that name of that city have a, have a specific meaning? And then you're looking at, okay, why? What was the purpose of this miracle? Manifest. His glory? Yeah, to glorify Jesus. So when he does a miracle in my life, it's to glorify himself, to bring him glory. And then what's the purpose in my life? For the disciples to, to believe in him. Yes. So when the Lord, when I pray and the Lord answers, now I can believe. And then I pray, and it's something that I, I feel is impossible for me. And, and now I can believe. So I've learned over the years, Will, to take every problem. And if it's not resolving itself quickly, uh, to just give it to the Lord. Okay, Lord, if you don't care about this, I don't care about this. And I continue praising Him and just resting in it. And either the Lord moves that on and it's not urgent right now, or He tells me it's not time, I need to wait and just be patient and seek Him, or all of a sudden it just works itself out in such a magnificent way that it's better than I could have ever imagined. And I'm developing faith, I'm developing courage, I'm developing strength, I'm developing the ability to rest in Him while I'm waiting. And now I'm seeing Him bring His glory into my life, take care of a need that I have, and I believe even more, and now I can tell others about it, and they can believe. So there's a purpose when Jesus does things in your life, and there's a purpose in, in our hearts to grow our faith. So this was Jesus' first miracle. It was a wedding. The location was Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus initiated the miracle, and the problem was that the wine ran out. And Mary, Jesus' mother, instructs the servants to do whatever he says. And now Mary comes to Jesus with the problem. She's a part of the hostess, and she intercedes for them. So the servants just obey, and the governor is impressed, and the purpose is miracles to manifest the glory of God. And the next purpose is to instill belief in their hearts. So there are questions that I want you to start asking yourself, like what kind of things uh, would help me to increase my belief. And then I want you to start praying for the things, the needs in your life, the needs in the lives of those that uh, are near you. And in James 4, 2, it says, We have not because we ask not. Huh. So if I'm not asking? How am I going to know when God answers? Am I just going to think it's a coincidence? It's just karma? You know, what am I going to think? But if, I, if I've been praying it, if I've been asking it, and there it is, then that's really cool because I know God heard me. I know God answered. And he says, um, 
It sa- he says that he'll give me the desires of my heart as I walk with him and as I serve with him. And so here's a, a little example from the other day. I was uh, cleaning out the garage and helping a family member move, and there was one glove they were going to pass it on to Goodwill, and there was one nice, nice glove there, you know, for a winner. And I thought, darn, wonder why there's not two here. And before the day was out, there was the second one. And I didn't even pray well. But it was a desire in my heart to have the second one. <laughs> I didn't even pray for it. But yet God gave it to me. And when he gave it to me, it was such a sweet little token of, I heard your little desire, and you didn't even have to pray it. I was here. I gave it to you. So now we're going to move to the next section. And the theme is? Jesus is the temple. Yeah. But he was speaking of the temple of his body in John 2.21. So I want you to ponder that. Jesus is the temple because in Jerusalem they had a big temple um, that took them decades to build. But Jesus is now telling them, I'm your temple. So let's look at John 2.12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Okay, so they're traveling. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now this is very interesting, because Jesus becomes the Passover at the end of his ministry. He becomes the sacrificial lamb to die once and for all, for uh, all people, for whosoever will, um, and his blood is... He is so pure that it doesn't need to be done every year. It's done. Uh, so where did they go next? Did they go th- – where did they go? Jerusalem. Yes. This is where the Feast of the Jews was happening, the Passover. And the Old Testament example of the Passover was where they were at bondage in Egypt, and each family was to kill a little lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. And anybody that was inside – that house, the death angel passed by them when it came to slay the firstborn of all the Egyptians. It passed over that house, and they were all spared. Anyone who was in that house with the blood that covered it was spared. And so they called that the Passover. So every year they would celebrate the Passover. And so they would sacrifice a lamb, and they would praise God, and they would repent for their sins, and they would start fresh again. So when the New Testament come, Jesus becomes the Passover. So let's go to John 2.14. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Hmm. So who was in the temple? Money changers. Yeah. And the Jews were overcharging for the animals and for, for foreign currency into the temple to turn it into temple money. And so Jesus was not happy about this. He was not happy that they were uh, taking advantage of people. He was like, um, they've come to worship and they've come with pure hearts to give of their hard-earned money. And, and it's it's evil to steal their money or to take $10 and charge them $12 to give them 10 And he was quite upset about that. So let's look at John 2.15. What do you think he did? When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Okay, so here he is. He decides that 
um, you're not going to do this at my father's house. I don't think so. Now, these people, they, they come a long way. They traveled for maybe even a week to get there for this Passover feast. And then to be cheated out of their money when what they wanted to do was buy an animal to sacrifice because they didn't bring the animal along with them all that way. And so let's look at John 2.16. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So I think what Jesus was saying was, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you rob the people in God's house? How dare you mistreat them? And there's so many times that um, I will mistreat myself. And if Jesus is the temple and I'm in him, and there's other scriptures in the New Testament that says my body is a temple and I can offer myself as a living sacrifice. There's other vo- verses in John 17 that say I can become one with him as he is one with the Father. And so if I'm one with the Master and I'm the temple, then the Lord's telling me, don't sell yourself short. You know, have some dignity. Step up and say, you're not going to treat me that way. You're not going to cheat me. You're not going to falsely accuse me. And, and, you know, sometimes it's not safe to say those words, but it's safe to walk away and um, n- and not go back and not let people treat you that way. So John 2.17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. There's a prophecy. And it has just been fulfilled in John now 2.18. So the Jews answered and said, it to, said, said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Yeah, so they're, they're challenging him now. They're saying, who gave you this authority? Why are you doing this stuff? And uh, he's going to answer them here in 2.19. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. (laughs) Now he's talking about his own body. He's saying the one true sign that you're going to get is my resurrection because I'm the Messiah. And yet he's speaking to them um, in sort of different language that, that only if their eyes are open are they going to be able to understand what he's saying. So John 2.20. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Hmm. So what temple did the Jews think he was referring to? The, uh, the one that took 46 building. years. Yeah. yeah, They think he's talking about that building that took 46 years to build. Unbelief had closed their eyes of their understanding. So let's look at John 2, 21. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Okay, so the scripture confirms that Jesus is the temple. Now let's look at John 2.22. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Okay, so for whose benefit did Jesus say those words that that, uh, his body was the temple, that he was going to be – he was going to – Raise it up in three days. For us? For Yeah, for his disciples. See, it was for his disciples so that they would b- believe. And when he was resurrected, then they remembered. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he is the temple. Look at that. He did become the Passover. And now we believe. So during the Passover feast, what caused many to believe in his name? 
Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Okay, so he was doing different miracles. He was starting to do different signs. So what does it mean that Jesus did not commit himself to other to these men? But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Okay, so the Jews that are quizzing him and questioning him about his motives and and saying, now how are you going to tear this temple down and build it in three days when it took us 46 years to build it? They're questioning him. And so he understands uh, that they're in darkness. And so he's not going to commit himself to them in a way that they're that he's going to disciple them and let them walk alongside him. So let's look at John 2.25. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So Jesus didn't need anybody to come to him and say, no, those guys are trying to trick you. They're trying to trap you up in your words. They're trying to find something you said that are wrong. He didn't need to know that. He didn't need anybody telling him that because he already knew it. He knew he can look right straight into my heart, and he knows my heart. So if I've got poor motives and I think I'm hiding it, I'm not hiding it from the Lord. <laughs> I'm hiding it from myself. And sometimes I'm a good liar. Uh, to myself, I can just say, "Not that, no, that's not bothering me. No, there's no problem there." And so, what I need to do is just put my heart bare before the Lord, and say, "Lord, show me my heart. Show me where my light deceit is. How I'm deceiving myself, and where I'm leading myself astray." So the temple should be kept pure and without dishonest people using it for dishonest gain against the innocent people coming to worship God. And the zeal for righteousness is Jesus' rule. Ha, that breastplate of righteousness. My righteousness is like filthy rags, but the righteousness of the Lord will cover me. So Jesus is the temple. He was crucified and resurrected in three days. And the benefit of Jesus' teaching was for the disciples to increase their belief at a later time after the crucifixion and the resurrection. So sometimes things are happening now, Will that aren't for right now for me to understand. But as I bring these things to the Lord, um, I will be able to understand those things as, as we go along. Now that was the full chapter two. I want you to think about a prayer to offer up to the Lord, to ask Him to confess your any unbelief that you have and ask Him to help you believe. Because here you will see again in this chapter, as well as the last, He is addressing unbelief and telling them how to believe. And this was Angie Meadows. And this is Will. And we'll see you in Chapter 3.